Hey there folks, Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah morning news special. Thanks as always for tuning in. Have a really interesting and informative episode lined up for you this week. I spoke with Patrick Kelsey, chair for the Cultural Affairs Commission, as well as head of the Arts and Culture Alliance of Chatham County. And we got into a bunch of details, not only about Patrick's background and how he became sort of an administrator, but I really wanted to outline what does the Cultural Affairs Commission actually do? I don't know if you're like me, but a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have really been able to answer that question. And I figured a lot of people out there might not know either. So I wanted to get Patrick on to talk all about it. And of course, again, we got into all the details about his past, how he really got involved in the arts, and why he is really the perfect choice to head the Cultural Affairs Commission. If you happen to miss any of my previous episodes of Art on the Air or my corresponding Art Off the Air column, you can catch them here at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. And I've also started to write the Sunday column again here, the bi-weekly arts column, and you can find that in the lifestyle section. I recently wrote a piece about the MLK memorial that was put up down at Plant Riverside and made some suggestions perhaps that a local artist would have been a better choice and then last week for my art off the air column I had the chance to speak with Max Feist and Max is an incredible artist that I think you're going to want to learn more about so if you happen to miss either one of those savannahnow.com in the entertainment section or in the lifestyle section but let's get into this week's interview again this is Patrick Kelsey talking via Zoom about his background, his role as head of the Cultural Affairs Commission, and how not being able to draw led him to where he is today. Enjoy. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air, and I am speaking by Zoom with Patrick Kelsey, and Patrick, before we get started, let me just kind of lay everything out here for our listening audience, because you are a SCAD professor. You formed and run the Arts and Culture Alliance of Chatham County. You're on the Chatham County Democratic Committee. You're Now, did you found Georgians for the Arts, or are you just a board member? Uh, I'm one of the founders, yes. One of the founders. The Study Arts Administration, this is a new one for me. I didn't recognize this, so we'll talk about that. And then the Kelsey Consulting Group. So before we get into the Cultural Affairs Commission, which is going to be the main sort of topic of this discussion today and what that is, which you're also the chair of, I want to get into this background stuff because the first connection I had with you is I saw you write a couple of really excellent editorials for the Savannah Morning News as founder of the Arts and Culture Alliance of Chatham County. So talk about these various various things that you, suits that you wear, various costumes that you wear, various things that you are involved in and how they differ and how they relate. I think the, uh, the short of it is in order to describe all of them, I'd classify them as the passion projects. <laughs> uh, none, of them are the day, uh, none of them are the day job. Uh, and every one of them is uh, 100% voluntary and uh, you know, trying trying to juggle all these all these projects is a bit of a challenge on a, on a very regular basis uh, while trying to you know teach full time at SCAD, but um, it, it, in part is what keeps me going. Um, you know, starting on the on the home front, uh, part of it is 
I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it was 2015, maybe 16. Yeah. And, um, the, uh, the, you know, the city manager had, uh, this is uh, what, Hernandez, he had just come on board and he was in his uh, first budget presentation to the, to the city council. And he wasn't handed a great deck of cards. But he came in with his own perspective, and he, I believe, if I recall, he wanted to make cuts not only to the cultural affairs, you know, line item in, in the budget, uh, but also uh, social services. So mm-hmm. both both line items in the budget were being uh, were being reduced. Now I can't speak about social services; they have a different kind of structure uh, than cultural affairs. Uh, but you know, the community came out. Community really came out. Really came out. The whole city council chambers was full, and all of the outer area because it was they they couldn't allow any more people in. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And so they, um, so he came in and you know caused a ruckus. They, in large part, put everything back to where it was. And I don't recall if it was that year or the following year. I think it was that year where they weren't one hundred percent sure how they're going to get the, the funding and everything in place. But regardless, they did. And you know, it was at that time, uh, by that time, I had already been doing some um, federal advocacy work. And that is largely with my original uh, teaching position at SCAD. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. So I'd already recognized, you know, a lot of framework needed and this and that, the other, and, and, uh, uh, my entire career has never been artistic in a way. I can't act. I can't draw. I used to be able to play an instrument, uh, but it was not very good. But I wanted <laughs> to find I wanted to find a you know a place in order to support artists, and that's kind of where I fell in. I fell into the administration and management aspects of all this. But at that point, you know, everybody came out and they all spoke, but it was all individuals and it was not at all coordinated. And so out of that, you know, was born the idea. And it's really only, it's only a, a, an idea um, because I've never incorporated it for a couple of reasons. One, financially, um, didn't need to because there's no, there's very, you know, few, very few expenses uh, involved. And I didn't want it to be something, you know, so formal, but also even as a, uh, you know, an entity, whether it be a, a you know, a C3, uh, which would probably be the way to go. But then you have these restrictions. You have these handcuffs uh-huh. on to what you can do and what you can't do. And I don't want to be restricted. I want to be able to say, you know, or do through this, whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And I have to worry about, you know, losing your tax exempt status, like, you know, a lot of um, uh, companies or organizations. Yeah. So bottom line is trying and only trying, it's, it's kind of a, been a hit or miss over the years, begin trying to, you know, uh, pull folks together to have kind of a singular voice uh, whenever needed and trying trying to, uh, you know, have something of a dialogue between these various parties because uh, whether it be, you know, state or, or federal, everybody kind of has their own little pillar of interests, um, but there's no, there's no connectivity between them. And so I always kind of, kind of try to, you know, consider myself to be kind of the glue 
um, so that you know there is one direction for all of these uh, I guess disciplines. So that was kind of on the on the local front, but come back to the uh, the other uh, uh, end of the spectrum on the federal side of things. When I had first come to uh, a SCAD and I began the, what was that? Began teaching in January of 2011. Shortly after I had arrived, uh, some of my, uh, my colleagues had been taking students to uh, Washington DC for the National Arts Action Summit, uh, which is a program um, put together by Americans for the Arts. And so, Eventually, uh, I think the first or second year uh, that I was here, I also then attended one of these. And I had already been um, you know, dabbling in advocacy work when I was up in New York, but nothing of this of scale. So once that happened and uh, you, begin to, you begin to see actually how easy it is, uh-huh. you know, you know, it depends on whether you're trying to lead the charge or if you're if you're just kind of one of the you know rank and file you know troops or boots on the ground behind advocacy and and by way of advocacy it's largely you know from my perspective lobbying it sounds lobbying always sounds like a negative you know connotation uh, you know I'm a lobbyist but you know what I am a lobbyist because I can walk in the lobby and I can go into an office and I can say hey you know have you thought about this hey. Uh, by the way, you know, if you take this position over here, it may help us a little bit. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, it's not hard, hard at all. So at the federal level, um, kind of began to dabble in that. And ever since then, that's probably been 2012 or 2013, um, you know, every year, you know, taking, you know, at that time, it was the arts administration program is what I came mm-hmm. in under. And every year, you know, took a, 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 a bunch of the SCAD students. They had a, a student club, and we usually were able to go as a group. And through the club, we could get a lot of funding to help right. us mm-hmm. for the students. So we did that regularly every year, probably the best part of the year that I had. And then uh, things change. Uh, you know, SCAD no longer has a, an arts administration program. They've, they, they now have their you know, creative business leadership program. And, uh, you know, a kind of, you know, a completely different perspective of, uh, of things. But my, my area is, you know, not-for-profit arts, culture and arts, arts and culture. And that's where, that's where my, my passions really are. So with that in mind, you know, there were some Georgia statewide advocacy or education groups already existing. One of them was the uh, Georgia Arts Network, which had been connected to the Arts Action Summit as the officially recognized state organization, mm, okay. which would then you know, kind of be tapped into that network. Okay? It's part of the uh, State Arts Action Network is what the formal name is. So they had been having, uh, they were in that role for, I don't know how long. And another organization that I believe that had splintered off from the Georgia Arts Network sometime, you know, before I came to Georgia is Arts Georgia. Now, Arts Georgia had been funding a, an initiative. I believe even then it was called Georgians for the Arts. That's, that's the official name. Um, but most of the activity came out under the Arts Georgia 
you know, banner, if you yeah. But this particular initiative, Georgians for the Arts, had been uh, largely funded and, and supported by Arts Georgia. But there had gotten to a point where more had to be done in such a way that, again, we go back to the tax-exempt status. It was a C3. It was a 501c3. Again, very limited to what it can do because um, if you know a, a, a significant number of, uh, of hours or, or your, your resources in terms of time, labor, and money are dedicated to the stuff, because that's not your mission. Yeah, there are, there are no there are no C three organizations that can dedicate a lot of their time on advocacy lobbying because that's not their mission. But then when you get to the C fours, that's different. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, Arts Georgia wanted to kind of uh, separate itself from this particular initiative, and that's where I came in and and helped to facilitate that. So today, I have the you know the the spectacularly, you know, uh, you know, profile of being El Presidente and CEO <laughs> of this organization with a small band of merry volunteers. So, you know, we're trying to do, you know, what we can at the state level and still be connected and plugged in with Americans for the Arts because Georgia Arts Network gave up the role a couple of years ago so that we could, you know, take over because they really weren't doing a whole heck of a lot Again, they were all volunteer and you know, they, they did what they could, but there's only so much one can, you know, undertake. So they, they gave up that role. We took on that role. Arts Georgia stepped out of that mm. role. And so now today we have Georgians for the Arts. Like with uh, you know, Arts and Culture Alliance of Chatham County, uh, whereas it is a uh, bona fide 501c4, so we can pretty much do what, whatever we want in certain, you know, with certain parameters mm-hmm. so that we can uh, now try and uh, you know, facilitate you know, policy changes. Now, there hasn't been a whole lot of activity. It's not as much activity trying to influence public policy here in the state of Georgia. It's a bit better uh, in terms of results at the federal level because you have a pretty significant advocacy machine behind it. Mm. Uh, in in Georgia, you know, there is the occasional need, and you know, even your uh, your listeners right now are going to hear about a couple of these that are coming up. When the legislation, if it if it begins to move a little bit, you're going to hear even more, because right now the Georgia legislature, they are considering uh, various policies, not only just the budget, not only just the budget, but one thing that you know uh, Georgians for the Arts was successfully in is having legislation proposed last session, hopefully to be approved this session, to where when you file your state income tax, at the end of it, if you want to donate part of your uh, state refund to the arts, you will have that option. So, you know, before it was, you know, uh, education, cancer research, uh, you know, fish and wildlife, you know, cats and dogs, you had all these wonderful causes, but none of them were something that I even would want to, you know, give it. Right. But all things go well. It'll get approved this year. So for what tax tax year, uh, what, 22, you'll have that new checkbox on there. So that, that's one of them. And another one right now is if there's any more movement on the uh, allowing casinos to operate in the state, 
which has been in the works for you know a good number of years. Yeah. There's, very, there's various forces uh, working either for it or against it. Um, I'm not really for gambling, but I am for their tax revenue. And right now, the tax revenue, um, I don't know, was it five years ago, I believe it was, I was sitting down with the, uh, you know, the uh, Georgia delegation in sometime in December before they went up to Atlanta um, and gave them you know, my perspective of what I would want them to do. And one of them was, as you can imagine, more funding for uh, uh, Georgia Council for the Arts. Well, um, the one of the sponsors of that was, uh, you know, Ron Stevens. So Ron, Ron Stevens says, uh, yeah, well, you, you can have that. All that has to happen is the, uh, you know, casino bill, um, you know, pass. And it's like, OK, OK, so I know I can work with that. And uh, but now that language has changed and 100 percent of any tax revenue is going to go towards education. Now, don't get me wrong. I that's my day job. <laughs> I like education. And who doesn't uh, want to help fund education? I mean, I think we exactly. all exactly. It's, yeah. it's it's a hard it's a hard cause that you, that you would want to fight against. However, within the state of Georgia and various pieces of the existing code or proposed legislation, education is classified primarily as uh, in demand jobs and all things related to STEM. There is no A, there is no STEAM, it is all STEM. And if that is their position to continue with that, then let's dedicate part of that gambling tax revenue towards arts education. Dedicate it, line item it, uh, you know, segment it, however you wanna do it, just so that that one area, that one uh, area of interest you know, with students and the like, can have that opportunity too, instead of all tech right. or math or science or engineering. So I, res I respect all the STEAM, uh, sorry, STEM uh, careers, but every one of those and study after study says, you're going to have to have something of creativity. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, I think that's the core. Yes, yes. Uh, they have to be uh, uh, able to be creative and there are a plethora of ways and means to do that. And a lot of them are through the arts. So well, that's really uh, well said. You know, I, I, there's so much there that you said that I really, I mean, we, and I could spend all day talking to you about this. But I, what I think, like there's one little sort of kernel, the essence of what you said, that I think is so important because I've been to a number of the events that you have been a part of putting on. Like, you know, I was on a, I went to a workshop that you did on, the, governance. Yeah, governance workshop, which was awesome. I still have that packet. Like I literally refer to that packet still, <laughs> yeah. um, which was great. And I've been to a couple of your coffee meetings that you that you put on. And one of the things, what I kind of think is remarkable, and I think people don't, and you and you talked about, you know, getting together with the Georgia delegation. What I don't think a lot of people realize is that if you want to talk to somebody. You can just ask them, and most of the time, they will talk to you. Mm -hmm. And what I thought about what was kind of cool about these events that you put together, it's like I never found the people who showed up that were there weren't willing to, like, take questions, have dialogue. They didn't – it seemed these people want to hear from us. They want to know what our positions are, what our, what our opinions are, and – what I think you're doing that's a really great thing is that you're connecting that 
need, that desire on their part for, I think, which is a desire of various communities within Savannah to have their voices heard. Because I know, like, for example, one of the, one of the coffee, uh, shot, uh, coffee talk events that you put together, what I thought was so remarkable was I was there, art person, visual arts person. There are a couple other visual arts person there. But that was the first time I can remember being in a meeting, talking with music people and theater people and all these other people that are in these that are. And I'm not just talking about just talking about music and theater, but talking about issues like you're talking about funding and and how things are structured and moving those things forward as far as like getting them out in the public a little bit better. Like I never had those conversations with people outside of my like own personal little circle. So, so I think that's really great what you're doing. I want to ask you though, you mentioned you, you know, you couldn't act, not good at playing instrument, couldn't draw. What, where does this passion for arts come from? Like from your, from when you were younger? It started in, in uh, uh, I think, middle school or high school. And, you know, even even the initial exposure to, uh, in my case, I've, you know, my interest lays in the theater. And, you know, my education and professional career until I arrived at SCAD has all been theater. And I think, you know, back in the day when I was first introduced to other aspects of the theater than just being on the stage was, I think maybe it was sixth grade or, or seventh grade, I don't know. Um, but there was this mad night, music and drama night. Mm. That the music teacher was you know, putting on, it was an annual thing. And uh, I had really zero interest. And she wanted everybody to participate, but I had zero, zero interest in this stuff. And so I approached her, uh, you know, and, you know, everybody has that one person or a couple of people that, you know, just stays with you forever. And this was Mrs. Runyon. Yes, I remember her. Mrs. Runyon uh, approached her and said, yeah, well, don't you need somebody backstage to help out? Uh, yeah, you want to do that? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. And that's, and that's, where, I, and that's where I stayed. Uh, I stayed with that. And then I moved on to high school. I did all the theater uh, while I was in high school. And then Mr. Jones, the, uh, the band teacher who was in charge of, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the theater facilities and stuff, uh, had a great rapport and, uh, and, and was really passionate about doing what I, what I was doing at, in high school. Then I went to, uh, I was working uh, professionally at a dinner theater uh, my summer before going to college. Uh, and then, you know, went to college and I think I lasted, I don't know, 10 weeks. This is a, a semester system, like 10 weeks as a psychology major. <laughs> I thought, oh, I want to get to know people and uh, their inner workings and stuff. And I got 10 weeks into the, uh, into the, my freshman year. And if, you know, no, no offense to the psychologists, but reading a, anything about, you know, psychology just put me to sleep. And, but you can't be, you, you always have to be a, a declared major. So it's like, okay, what else do I enjoy doing? Well, theater. So that's when I picked up technical theater, um, you know, for specialization in a set design, but again, I can't draw. And realizing the fact that, well, I can't draw um, nor anything else. So in comparison to my peers that were so talented. And uh, uh, so it's like, okay, I'm gonna have a hard time here. Well, I, uh, I, I dropped out for one year, started a family. 
And during that time, I went back to the dinner theater and again was working professionally. And then when I returned and knew kind of where I shouldn't be for career purposes, that's when I picked up a second major in entrepreneurship and small business management. So I was a, a dual major because at my university, there was nothing already there. So I was probably the only person in the entire theater program. And it was a big theater program, even bigger now, uh, that was interested in this stuff. There were no theater management courses. So I combined everything that I could together, my, uh, my, my capstone, my, my final project for entrepreneurship was a, a, a business plan for yet yeah, a dinner theater. Okay. And I had everything on the line because it was one of those, well, this program here was you write it, you pitch it, you find out before you leave um, the, uh, you know, the site where the, the panel reviews your, your presentation, whether or not you get to graduate next weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a third of all those that started graduated. Oh my God. The others had to come back for, uh, for summer school to finish off their, uh, their degree. So I had a lot on the line, but I also spent the next four years. I was a you know five-year senior. The four years that I was that, you know, dual major, every class that I had was, I had something connected to that one plan. But I was still, you know, even at that time, very passionate. I, I wanted to be working in, in theater management. And so from there, decided, you know, like, you know, a lot of un- other uh, undergrads, I'm not going to go and work in professionally. I'm going to go straight to grad school. And so looking around, I eventually uh, went to, uh, went to New York, went to Columbia's uh, theater management and producing uh, MFA program, because I wanted to be able to complete the program, go back to uh, uh, the college level and teach theater management. Okay. Now yeah. that was the plan. <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> it didn't happen quite that way. Uh, finished up my courses, started working in the commercial theater. Uh, the commercial theater for me was uh, initially uh, serving as presenter for all the first class tours, all the Broadway series across North America, and then eventually, uh, well, I should say across the U.S., and then eventually North America. Uh, at that time, it was one company, then a merger, then an acquisition, then a merger, an acquisition. Uh, today, it's, today, it's uh, you know Broadway across America is uh, is what their current uh, uh, name is. But I did you know that kind of commercial theater for uh, for a good number of years. Then I literally uh, moved my office across the street, managed what is now today the Lyric Theater, which oh. uh, is the Broadway theater where Harry Potter is. Yeah, I mean, I even recognize yeah, that yeah, name. Yeah, they're still there. They're still there. And um, uh, so I got myself into the literally the theater management, the facility management. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And that was uh, 2001. And my job with that role ended in 2001 because everything, you know, it went to hell in handbasket. Yeah, right. right, right. Uh, and so everything shifted. And so the the music was playing. Uh, music got turned off and I had no chair. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So a little time passed, found a arts education company. And I knew the founder, um, you know, Susan Lee, she had started this, uh, this company years before called Camp Broadway. It was uh, two things. It was during the uh, academic year, providing workshops and master classes to uh, school age kids and, and, and young people. No college, just everybody up through high school. 
And so there was that part of the, and then during the summer months, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, theater camps. Um, I think we had like, you know, eight different cities that we had this camp in, plus the main one in New York. And if you've never, by that time, I had already somewhat lost my passion for the theater, because if you ever work commercial theater, it kind of eats your soul. <laughs> because it's all about the money. Mm. all about the money and my and my role was to haggle for every dime and every nickel that I possibly could it just destroys your soul but working now in our education company and being around all these young people right. that are super passionate and not jaded or anything else is <laughs> infectious and so I got my passion back and then I was there for a couple of years and a, an opera with theater company needed somebody with my skill set. And so I interviewed, got the job, and I started working as the, uh, the managing director for the Irish Repertory Theater. Okay. And, uh, and theater, and they're not-for-profit. And it, it was probably the hardest organization or company to leave mm. because it was, it was so fun and exciting because it was about what's happening on the stage. I started off as their managing director and I think I did that for like, you know, five years, but within five years and anybody that is in the fundraising field knows what I'm talking about. Fundraisers are, the role of a fundraiser is a, is a revolving door. Uh. And I think I had seen in five years, six development directors come and go. And a few years once after I started, we, we began a capital campaign trying to raise, you know, the millions of dollars it took in order to buy the, the, uh, the facilities that we were in lease, trying to raise the money for renovations and trying to raise some money to begin an endowment. So seeing six development directors go within five years was a bit much. And in fundraising, it takes time to get up to speed to understand everything. And so that's when I kind of checked my ego I, and, and I literally changed chairs. I gave up my role as managing director and slid over to the, the development uh, uh, chair. And then I began to work more in fundraising. Okay. I knew the people, I knew the funders, I knew everything that I needed to know. And I, it turned out, you know, I wasn't a bad fundraiser, though I was looking at the numbers and kind of seeing that I wasn't, you know, hitting my own, hitting the historical numbers that we had been hitting. So I was thinking to myself, you know, what am I doing wrong? I should try harder. Um, but this was, uh, you know, the 2007, 2008. Ah, uh, yeah. And then of course, you know, a lot of things you don't know happening at the time housing crisis, no one has the money, blah, 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 blah. So we held our own. We held our own. Um, but uh, uh, so with- I mean, if you even survived during that period, that's a win. Yeah. I mean, and, <laughs> and, you know, the, and some, some theater companies, if they have you know, a diversified selection of, of productions or plays they want to put on, you know, they, may, they may have a harder time. For us, it was all Irish. Irish American. Mm. And so you knew exactly what you got. The founders, they were still there and they're still there today. You know, I think, I think the organization now 35 some odd years old, but they founded it 
and they had developed such the reputation within the theater community that if needed, like now or that time, people came out to support it, and they still do today. And they were, they, well, right now, they were one of the first ones to really get into uh, broadcasting productions virtually. Oh, wow. And so they have you know, expanded the program. They're still doing stage stuff, uh, but they're also doing this other virtual stuff now, and they're getting massive support for it. Yeah. But now with all, with all the background in terms of education, commercial theater, arts education, uh, not-for-profit uh, you know, theater, management, administration, and now fundraising, SCAD had uh, uh, put out there somebody, uh, you know, a need for somebody with my, you know, again, skill set. Uh, and uh, yeah, they brought me down to Savannah. And before I left Savannah, I had had the offer. And uh, I said, yeah, sure. Okay. But however, I cannot begin when you want. This was like, this was like the week before um, last week of July of 2010. It was super hot. I remember that one. <laughs> and uh, they wanted me to begin in about four weeks with the start of the fall quarter. Well, either I, they really wanted me or they were really desperate to have somebody come in. Because they they were they they held off one quarter for me to start, nice, so that I could have a proper closure with uh, with that theater company because that's how much I respected them. And then of course, no, yeah, arts administration program, not for profit, all this wonderful stuff. And I was able to you know do what I could to you know share my wisdom with uh, with these students. It's interesting. I I love it because the way you're describing like your whole background. There is sort of a a really interesting metaphor I see, and that's that like you're behind the scenes, always doing what it takes to make sure that everyone else succeeds. And I mean, that's a really beautiful kind of metaphor. And I think it actually kind of relates a lot to the Cultural Affairs Commission, which is like, you know, what we're kind of here to talk about, which you're the chair of. And that commission is really there to help creative people succeed in Savannah. And I mean, I think it's really interesting. So why don't we kind of shift gears over into that now? And I'm going to read the description here from the city website. Well, one part of the description of it, just to kind of give people an idea, but I want to build off of this because one of the things I find that's really interesting about this is that it really is flexible. So it says the cultural affairs commission's mission is to foster innovative programming and services as a means of increasing the diversity and the quality of available artistic, cultural, and historical offerings, of raising the community's awareness of the benefits gained from such programs, and of ensuring that those sectors are used to enrich the quality of life within the city of Savannah. People like you and I, if we dissect that, and we kind of know what that means, because we've been involved in this, you even more so, you much more so than I, but you know, now I've kind of gotten a sense of what this is. It, it makes a lot of sense what that mission statement means. But I think for a lot of people out there, there's a lot of kind of buzzwords there and things like diversity and availability and foster and enriching the quality of life and stuff. But like, what does that really mean? What does the Cultural Affairs Commission do, would you say? Like, what is the, what is really the role beyond just the mission statement? Mm-hmm. Well, I think for years, and uh, I may uh, I may take some heat for this. Uh, I think for years, what the commission was always working toward 
uh, and things changed. You know, I, I, I first, you know, came into, you know, contact with, um, you know, the, the commission when, uh, who was there, uh, Bria Kelly was, uh, was serving as, as chair. And uh, so she kind of took it, began to take things in a different direction in a good way. But a lot of what was happening, I think, before and up to the point where we have now the, you know, the current, uh, you know, city council, the Cultural Affairs Commission, you know, the mission you read is great for public consumption, but there are, there are four kind of responsibilities that we have, you know, in our bylaws that are, you know, not quite so, you know, wordy uh, for, for a public consumption. But one of those is, you know, looking at you know, funding recommendations um, you know, to, to city council. And that is right now today, you know, the ACE program, arts and cultural enrichment program. Um, you know, that's the one, that's the big one, um, you know, most folks know of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, funding uh, currently ranges from 8,000 up to $100,000. Then of course, there's the Weave a Dream, that's up to now $5,000. But up until the current city council, that is pri- that was the primary thing that the council or sorry the commission did mm-hmm. they would you know i go they would get they would be uh, you know receiving tickets to the philharmonic uh the music festival and all of these other you know large-scale events uh they would go as as a guest they'd come back uh you know evaluate it um and then they all sit together review the applications and uh recommend funds um, and then the cycle begins again. We're still doing that to some degree, but the city council took a, a, a different direction and it's a good direction. I don't, I don't always agree with it sometimes, but I get it. The funding that they now provide by way of the, uh, the ACE funding program, Arts and Cultural Original Program, is now funding the free programs for the community. So everything that, you know, is funded, it's being provided to, you know, the taxpayers that are putting in the money for all this stuff. It's being given back to them. Now, of course, you know, we have, uh, you know, non-residents, you know, coming in from the outside, which, you know, is gravy. You know, that just adds to, you know, the, uh, the, the fabric of what the, uh, the city has. Uh, and bringing in the tourists and uh, keeping them here to spend more money. Um, by way of that, you know, we increase the hotel, to- uh, sorry, hotel motel tax revenue. It's all very, you know, cyclical uh, in in process and everything. But I digress. <laughs> that is the one responsibility that the commission had been uh, really kind of fixated on, from my outside perspective, until I had a seat at the table. Yeah, based on my historical research that I've actually been doing recently mm-hmm. for another article that I'm actually working on right now, that does seem to line up with everything that I am to understand as well, that it was mostly that, like 99.9% that, that was the role. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, with the, with the city council at the time, that was okay with them. You know, they didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, they didn't see any uh, reason to change the status quo, but things change. So now, um, you know, like I said, you know, I want to give some you know credit to Bria because she, uh, during her term, had injected this idea of the subcommittees. 
the subcommittees, you know, are now kind of focusing in on something a bit more specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, at the at the time, it was I think actually it still is um, public art, uh, arts education, and priorities. Uh, priorities being connected to what uh, the city manager, in this case Hernandez, had laid out. Uh, for the uh, city's Savannah Forward plan that was put into place. So just her, her leadership led to these committees being formed and the committees were trying to find something that we could bring back or, or kind of focus in on, um, you know, to introduce to the entire commission. So arts education, it was a hit or miss over time. Uh, public art took off as, as you full well know and then the priorities, what was proposed out of that was something to go on a listening tour, trying to get information from uh, the, uh, the taxpayers, the, the audiences, the supporters, the organizations, the artists, and, and everything else. Well, <laughs> great idea, but it wasn't carried forward because again, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was timed well with that city council. And then when things shifted a little bit, it was still a good idea, but they were still waiting for the city council to kind of get settled in to see right. where all this stuff could go. Well, we're there now. Mm-hmm. We're there now. And, uh, you know, they've already, the city's already completed their recreation reimagined, largely to do with outdoor activities, with a, with a little bit of arts and culture thrown in there for good mix. But now out of that, they're going to begin a more detailed uh, master plan, if you will, focusing in on or with emphasis on arts and culture uh-huh. with a listening tour uh, and public input and public surveys, which is exactly what kind of came out of the commission um, you know, a number of years ago. Today, however, we've kind of taken on the role, and this is kind of where I really was working toward trying to fulfill its other responsibilities. And that is in fact, you know, advising city council on things that they should consider doing. Not just the you know, recommendation for funding, but looking to, you know, even, you know, the, I think the best point you know, seeing the bylaws is to, you know, identify and promote the needs. Uh-huh. So let's do that. Let's identify what the community needs, whether it be the individual or the organizations, and you know, serve as the advisors to city council and, and, and uh, either suggest or influence if we can, uh, you know, some public policies so that it's, you know, it's just improving it, everything for everybody in the community. You know, hopefully we'll have a, a nice strong role, the commission will have a nice strong role with the development of the master plan and uh, you know, the city leveraging the commission to reach out to the community and go on that uh, and listen to what they want instead of handing it over to the consultants, using us to do what we were there and meant to do. We were appointed in these roles. So let us fulfill the roles uh, in its entirety. It's kind of cool too, because I, you know, I've been on, I'm on that commission now and I've been there for, I think it was October I began. And so November, December, January have been the three meetings that I've attended. And 
what I thought was, what I think is really fascinating is that the group is starting to take on that personality, that more mm -hmm. let's hear what the community is interested in yeah. and let's see if we can make those things happen. And I know that you noted this as well, is that we had at the last meeting, a bunch of new commission members. And it was, I couldn't believe there was all these new voices. And mm -hmm. it seemed that many of them were having that kind of same feeling, like mm -hmm. it's time for this, not only the commission, but the city to start responding to what the citizens are actually asking for when it comes to arts and culture. Not that they've been ignoring it before, but that there hasn't really been that voice in their ear saying, let's do this thing. And so um, I, I really appreciate that you're your leadership and, and of course you were voted unanimously to continue as the um <laughs> as the <Yeah>. chair <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that i think it's one of those instances where you know somebody said you know step forward and you all took a step back uh, i think it's one of those things but no i i i really enjoy and you know this is the second year of serving as chair uh and i and i really enjoy it because i don't know that's kind of the person that i am i like to I like to help, uh, you know, help to lead and guide things. Um, and uh, I'd always been trying to, you know, push the fulfillment of all the responsibilities and listening to the organizations. Uh, and I think probably one of the best examples is up until, you know, recently in the you know, last funding cycle and stuff, I was adamant about trying to you know, streamline and simplify just the funding process. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always lost the arguments. No one really saw a need for change. But if you've ever written a grant or if you've ever been on a, uh, you know, a grant panel, there is such a thing as sometimes it's, it's too much work to apply for money. And it was so complex. And one of the things with that, I'm saying a lot of ands, sorry. One of the tasks that I was asked to take on is to do some sort of comparative analysis. Uh -huh. you know, why is there a need? Okay, fine. I'll go and look at, you know, like cities. And I think I use the Coastal Indicator Coalition's cities, comparative cities. And in that, I found the only other government funding program that was as difficult as Savannah's was Atlanta's. And even Atlanta's was slightly easier because Atlanta, like where we may very well go, it may not happen this cycle, but the next cycle where we'd have a, a multi-tiered approach so that if you have professional grant writers, you're over here. If you don't right. have professional grant writers, you're over here. So we're not comparing, you know, uh, you know, small organization with the behemoth in the room. But, you know, for Atlanta, they were a two-tiered program, but I had never seen a grant program as complex and as laborious as Savannah's. And it was wrong. It was just wrong. That is such a good point. And I've written grants before. And, you know, as a, an individual writing grants, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get the money just because you write a grant. So if you're not, if that's not your job, then it's literally just finding the passion projects like you started this conversation with where you're like having to just find the time to write these grants. And I actually was considering applying for, for a grant from the city years ago. And I was like, it's just total nonsense. And I revisited the Weave a Dream more recently. And of course, the pandemic ended up being a reason why we didn't do the project ultimately. But 
it was just so much simpler. <laughs> it was so much better. And it was, it was remarkable because I felt like the first time I had looked at it, I ended up coming away confused, dispirited. And that's not the way you want people to think when they're going to the process. You want them to be excited. And the second time I went to it, I was like, this is so cool. Like, and it, and it felt like putting all of the pieces together for the grant actually felt like it was helping to organize and, and even to a certain extent, lend a hand in the creation of the project. Like, what is it, what do we need to do to really make this thing shine? And the grant, the new process sort of, in my mind, it helped propel it in that direction, which is, that's what you want, you know, is where a grant, it brings out the best in the person putting it together, not they're pulling out their hair and like, what is going on here? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, both program became so much simpler. And I don't, you know, honestly, you know, I don't think that has really gotten out, you know, with, um, with the, uh, with the ACE program, you know, we're still seeing about the same number of applications year to year to year. Uh, a couple drop off, a couple of new ones come on board. Uh, this past year, I think we saw more new applications come in. We had a couple that didn't reapply for a variety of reasons. Um, um, a lot of it, you know, organizational based. So it's outside of, you know, anything uh, control wise. But, um, you know, for, for a good number of years, it was always the same organizations. And it was very much heavy in, of course, the larger organizations that had the professional grant writers. Okay. Even now, today, during the last funding cycle, and going into the next, you know, um, uh, uh, fiscal year for the city, you know, they they kept the funds the same, the, the ACE investment funds the same. And I was I was thinking to myself, you know, do we do we push the uh, the alert button to ask for more money? And then you know it was weird because I said no. I told myself no. And the reason I didn't really you know want to push the uh, uh, push that button was because there's no demand. Right. There is there's. It, the, the ACE program is hardly competitive. Every, except for one, every organization during the last cycle uh, received funding. Even the newbies received funding. And the only one that did not was because it just didn't even meet the minimum guidelines. Well, it's interesting too, is that last year was the first time that I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that the Weave a Dream funding had been completely fulfilled, that it had gone, all of the Weaver Dream funding had been used. That was the first time, and that was a big deal. And it was, that's exciting. That means that the word was getting out, and that's a really good progress. But you're right. It's like, it's hard to ask for more money when you're barely spending the money you have. Yes. And uh, Weaver Dream, you know, ace is ace, but Weaver Dream, given the simplicity of the application process, you know, honestly, the Weaver Dream money, and it's not very much. I don't even remember where we're at right now. It's like twenty-one or twenty-two thousand dollars. And if all, if if the if the grants, if uh, sorry, if the, if the funds were allocated to the maximum of, of the application, we're looking at a whopping four applications that would wipe out Weaver Dream. Uh-huh. Okay, last year it came down to the wire. You know, uh, with those funds. Part of it was, you know, trying to come up with, you know, programming that would work well, given the environment that we are in. Majority of the funded programs, you know, it was, it was so tangential 
to you know arts and culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was you know just a you know a word here or there connected it to where it would be eligible for funding. But when we're looking at you know the bona fide arts and cultural organizations, whether they are uh, uh, you know a formal entity or a, a group of individuals that will work through a fiscal sponsor so that the fiscal sponsors, you know, tax exempt status can help them receive the money. E- even they don't come after the money. Weaver Dream also is not competitive. We did use up all the money last year, which is super duper fantastic, but it was not competitive. Right now, today, we're, uh, what, middle of February. We'll find out soon on the number of applications. But, you know, if we get to October and there are funds remaining, then, you know, I will go out on the limb here and say, shame on the organizations, shame on the artists, because there is money there. And the process is not that difficult. Well, I think that's a really, we're we're running out of time here. And I think that that's a really good point to end on because it was interesting. I saw somebody post up on social media earlier this week. They said, and they called out Van Johnson and said, how come it's always the same organizations getting all of the funding from the city from the, from uh, regarding arts? And the reason is because they're the ones that are asking for it. So hopefully people will hear what you're saying right now and they'll you know, get their stuff together and hopefully be able to get some new and interesting events and ideas out there because that'd be really cool. We want it to be competitive. We, that's what we really, really want. Because when it's competitive, it demonstrates demand. If there's demand, then there is a solid argument to increase funding. But right now, today, it's not happening. Hopefully, it will in the, in the near future. Um, but uh, that's what we're working towards as a, as a commission. Um, and, and really trying to fulfill all of the responsibilities for which we were appointed to do. That's awesome. Well, Patrick, before I let you go here, yeah. if there are people, people are interested in learning more about all of the things that you're up to, mm-hmm. what's the best way for people to connect with you? Well, my, uh, my number and my various, you know, personality and hats in terms of telephone <laughs> number, it's, it's all out there on any one of the uh, uh, sites that you had mentioned. But I think, you know, for, uh, for, for your listeners interested in advocating uh, for arts and culture, it's going to be federal level, state level, uh, georgiansforthearts.org. On the local level, county level, city level, it's uh, chathamartsandculture.com. And my information is you know, everywhere out there. Yeah. Um, and I would just recommend that if anybody wants to you know, get on the advocacy bandwagon and help to influence public policy, uh, happy for the help. Um, I think that, you know, all of the, the elements of arts and culture contributes uh, has such a great contribution to, and I like to use the word fabric, the fabric of our society, the fabric of our community. And you can go back to, you know, one of those quotes from John Adams. He does what he does so that his sons can study the arts. And I forget the exact quote, but I, I think a lot of folks, uh, I know that one. And, uh, and that's what I had to, you know, kind of remind this is the city of Savannah and in Chatham County. Last uh, October was the first time that uh, the city, uh, the county, and the state had recognized Arts and Humanities Month. 
And so now I have once one day I'll have an office that has all this stuff, but I have here my three proclamations from these three entities to declare October Arts and Humanities Month. That's and lovely. That is a step in the right direction. That's awesome. Patrick, thank you so much. I've, you've given me so much of your time and I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming My on pleasure. Art on the Air today. My pleasure. Anytime. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air. <laughs>